Morning, everybody. Did you enjoy the extra hour of sleep? I did. Okay. You probably just stayed up an extra hour. <laughs> My name is uh, David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Hey, let's start this morning actually with some harder questions about your faith. Let me throw some tough questions on the screen. Okay. Some questions for you to ponder. How would you say your relationship with Jesus is right now? How much does your life look like Jesus? Are you growing deeper in your relationship with Jesus? Would you say that you look and act more like Jesus today than you did a year ago? That's a tough one. Uh, And would you say that you are spiritually mature? Now, it may be that you're here today and you're just kind of investigating Christianity and what church is all about. And so these questions probably aren't for you. And I just want to say we're pumped that you're here at checking it out. But if you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus, these questions perhaps maybe make you want to kind of do this in your seat a little bit this morning. Right? Because I, I, I think a lot of us, we get because our faith is seasonal, right? It's up and down. Maybe you just feel kind of stuck right now. Or maybe on the down. So how do you get back up? How do you grow in your faith? How do you become spiritually mature, as the Bible describes? That's the idea that God conforms us into the image of his son, as Romans 8 says. He makes us more like Jesus. How does one actually do that, and what does that look like? We're going to talk about that this morning. So everybody grab a Bible. Uh, There's Bibles under uh, the chair in front of you. Uh, We're going to be on page 805. As you're grabbing a Bible, let me say that one of the many unique things about this church is that we believe that not every message should sound or even feel the same. Because not every passage of scripture is the same. And so sometimes you'll come to Renovation Church and you're going to hear messages that just cut right to your heart. You're like sweating in your seat, okay? Sometimes you come to church and it's just really challenging to your thinking. And sometimes you come to church and you're going to find it's just super practical. And today is one of those days. We're going to be super practical. I'm going to give you like 107 different ideas of things you can do today, okay? So try and just take one. Okay, so what we're going to do in our passage is we're going to get a chance to find some answers about spiritual maturity today because the author of this letter that we're studying this fall, Colossians, the author is Paul, he talks to the Colossian believers about how he wants them to become spiritually mature. So I actually want to read one verse from our passage last week because he kind of hinted at what was coming this week. So on your page 805 or chapter 1 and look back to verse 28. That's that small 28. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So that's his hope. Now he's going to talk more about that as we get into our passage. So turn to, I guess you don't need to turn, it's on the same page, look to chapter 2, and we're going to start right at the beginning of chapter 2, and here's what Paul says. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending. Remember last week he said he was strenuously contending for them, for you and for those at Laodicea. Uh, That's just a town that's like 11 miles over from Colossae. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be And I'm just going to leave it there on a cliffhanger because he's about to go in to describe what spiritual maturity can look for, look like for them in their context. But before we talk about what spiritual maturity looks like, I think we actually got to talk about how it happens first. Because the more I talk to Christians, the more I feel like there are a lot of Christians that are just a bit 
fuzzy on how the process of becoming spiritually mature really works. So let's talk about the process. A pastor and author, John Ortberg, years ago, uh, used a great analogy on the process of becoming spiritually mature. And from my mind, I always think in continuum. So I took his analogy and I put it on a continuum. So here's what the outline of it looks like. So we're going to talk about how to become spiritually mature. And there's a continuum here. On the extreme is, I do it by myself. On the other extreme is God does it. As you listen, I want you to maybe even plot your own life. Where would you be on this continuum? Because Ortberg says that there are a whole lot of Christians who think that spiritual maturity is like taking a paddle boat across an ocean. You remember what a paddle boat is? Paddle boat is like where you sit down on that boat and you do all the paddling with your feet. I feel like they should call it a foot boat, personally. But you sit on the boat, right? And you just, you just work. And a lot of people te- treat their Christian life like that. They think, oh, now I gotta be super, super good. And I gotta stop sinning. And I'll work hard. And I'm gonna do less sin than everybody else. And I'm gonna be better than everybody else. And that's like their Christian faith. And you know what? That's super exhausting. And you're gonna find it's really unsuccessful. It's unsatisfying. And you're going to feel frustrated with Jesus because you can't get very far across the ocean in a paddle boat. But a lot of us, that's how we think we need to become spiritually mature. But that's not what this says, okay? Then Orpark says, the other thing is there's a whole lot of other Christians who think spiritual maturity is like a raft. And they think, oh, you know how I really grow to be like Jesus? I just... I just get down on my raft and I just soak in God's grace and it'll drift me across the sea of spiritual maturity. I don't really need to do anything. God does the work. Let go and let God. Amen, right? And that's how they treat it. But what happens if you just get on a raft? You just drift nowhere and you don't see the results that you're really looking for. But Ortberg says... The process of spiritual maturity is much more like a a sailboat or even picture a large boat with sails. And you think about a a boat that has sails on it. If it moves at all, it's a gift of the wind. It's God. We can't control the wind. However, a good sailor discerns when the wind is blowing, where the wind is blowing, and then does the work to adjust the sail Accordingly, And see, spiritual maturity is a result of you doing the work to put yourself in the right position to catch the wind and let God move you and grow you. So that's the process, biblically, of becoming spiritually mature. But as you're working towards it, you kind of got to know what does it look like, right? Because you can't get to a place if you don't know how to get there and you don't know what it looks like. So what does spiritual maturity actually look like? Well, Paul's going to teach us today that biblical spiritual maturity is a whole lot more well-rounded than most American Christians think it is. So let me show you a drawing we came up with to kind of describe this. So I would say spiritual maturity happens when you grow in your head knowledge of who God is, your heart grows to be more in love with him, your hands are growing in the spiritual discipline, and your feet are actually walking out your faith. I think the challenge, though, in our current culture is for a lot of American churches, they focus almost exclusively on one of these things, maybe two. And so for a lot of churches, for example, 
spiritual maturity is almost synonymous with Bible knowledge. We'll say, oh, she's super mature. She has all the verses memorized. She knows everything. She's mature. When other churches are like, oh, he is such an amazing Christian. When worship comes, he's like on his knees praising the Lord, right? His quiet time is the best. He's super mature. And there are completely other different types of churches where the Bible almost has nothing to do with it. They don't talk much about private devotion, but they would say, oh, the spiritually mature are the ones that are out in the community serving the disenfranchised. But the descriptions of spiritual maturity in the scriptures are so much more well-rounded than that. So let's read now of Paul's hope, his goal for what these Colossian Christians' lives actually turn out like. So here's what he says. We're on verse 2 if you want to look at it. He says, my goal is that they, so now he's going to paint this picture, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Okay, so let's, let's talk through. There's a lot of points here. Let's talk through what Paul is describing. And let me just say this. Uh, what we just read is not a comprehensive picture of biblical spiritual maturity. If we were going to talk about that in a topical way, uh, there'd probably be some other parts of, from different parts of Paul's letters that we would include in here. But this is a good picture of what Paul is looking for in spiritual maturity for this particular church. So let's go back to that drawing of the person. And what we're going to do here over the next few minutes is we're going to spend a few minutes on each of these realms of spiritual maturity. And what I want you to do as we're walking through this is I want you to think through, okay, where is it that I'm maybe neglecting? That I'm maybe not growing when it comes to looking like Christ? Because we each kind of have areas where like, oh yeah, that's nothing. I do that all the time. And then we have other areas that we kind of don't even really touch, right? So what are some areas that if you're going to look more like Jesus that you need to actually grow in? So let's start at the top. Let's start with a head, okay? So what do we see Paul list in our passage as examples of spiritual maturity? Well, we see this. Paul says that he wants them to have the full riches of complete understanding, that Christians should have that. He says that in Christ are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's verse 3. Also, twice, that's verses 4 and 8, he says it is so important that Christians are not deceived by philosophies. Christians ought to really know the truth. And so, if you're going to grow to be spiritually mature as a Christian, my friends, it is absolutely critical that you grow in your head knowledge of what God's word says. And I don't think we focus on this enough in in America. There are way too many American Christians that are being taken captive, as verse 8 says, by false doctrines, by false ideas. In other words, there are these new ideas out there about Christianity, and what they're doing is they're luring people away by some sort of half-truth. And they're saying something like, 
Christianity means that you won't have to suffer anymore and that God will win every battle for you. Or they say something like, you know what Christianity is mostly about? Christianity is mostly about social justice. Or they'll say, you know what the most important thing for the church to talk about is? The right leaders getting elected. You get a bunch of these half-truths and subtle lies. And all sorts of Christians in America right now are falling for these sort of things because they haven't actually taken the time to study the truth of what God teaches. And they're taken captive. We're taken captive to what? Well, what does Paul say? He says they're taken captive to hollow philosophies. It's kind of like, you remember at Easter time, you go to the store and you buy a chocolate bunny, and some of you buy the wrong type of chocolate bunny. You buy the hollow kind, okay? And you, you get it out of the package and you're like, oh, this looks so delicious. This is going to be so good. And you bite into it only to eventually find unsatisfying air, Okay? <laughs> That's kind of what Paul's talking about. These are hollow philosophies. They look so good to the Christian at first, but in a year or two, you just end up feeling empty because it's not the truth. And what Paul wants is he wants these Christian believers at Colossae to have a mature faith, to have a stable faith. This is why good Bible teaching is so important Uh, because the more that you at church and on your own can know the truth, the more you're going to be able to better identify false philosophies. I always think of this example. Uh, In his timeless book, Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby uses this example of the Canadian Mounties and how they train people who work for them to identify counterfeit currency. So basically, they have a whole department of people whose job it is to identify fake Canadian money. And he said what's really interesting is when they train them, they never show them fake bills. They only study the true thing. And so they teach them to look over every square centimeter, the metric system in Canada, of the bill. And so they know it so, so, so well, right? So that if they ever see something fake, they can go, oh, that's not right. That's not the truth. Because you can't even come up with all the different ways somebody could fake something, right? But you can know the truth so that you can identify something that's false. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants you to really know the truth. Okay, but what are, we said we're going to be really practical today, so what are some practical things that you can do to grow in spiritual maturity when it comes to the head realm of this matter? Let me give you some some action steps. So I think one of the best things you can do that will pay the most amount of dividends is get a good study Bible if you don't have one already. Uh, And by the way, a lot of the study Bibles nowadays, when you buy them, they'll come with like a code. You can even look for this when you're looking so that if you read the Bible on your phone all the time, that you can also get it on an app on your phone, which is helpful. I recommend the NIV study Bible. Uh, It is an excellent study Bible. If you don't know what a study Bible is, and some of you are just starting, uh, it essentially looks like this. So you have like the passage at the top, and then the whole bottom half is just notes helping you go deeper in the passage. So uh, if you just Google NIV study Bible, don't add anything else to that. I think it's like the first thing on Amazon. Uh, Second, Use a good online commentary. If you haven't heard that word, a commentary is like a study Bible, but like another step up, going even deeper into the passage. I always recommend EnduringWord.com. This is like the best commentary I've seen. It's better than any of the books that I've purchased, and it's free online. Take that bookmark it uh, in your phone or on your browser. Uh, Number three, consult a good theological site for when you have questions, deep questions about God and the word. My favorite site on the internet, uh, nextrenovationchurch.org, is... (laughs) 
gotquestions.org. If you haven't been there, you need to go there by the time you eat lunch today. They have answered 700,000 questions about the Bible. I've probably read hundreds of their pages. I've never even read one thing where I'm like, oh, I disagree with that. They are so solid. And they answer the deepest questions, the most minute questions. Again, just add that to your browser so as a bookmark. So when you have questions, you've got a place that you can go and get truth. Speaking of amazing websites, renovationchurch.org slash messages. You know, we've given over 600 messages here. Most of those messages, uh, thanks to incredible volunteers, are tied to a scripture passage. And if you're reading a, a particular passage and you have questions on it, go to the website. There may be an entire message on it. And then five, some of you are new even within the last couple of months, so you may not know that we do this, but every summer we press pause on our house groups and we offer six, seven, eight classes of theology and Bible classes so that you can be more rooted in the scriptures and more solid in your faith when it comes to your mind. Those are action steps that you can take to grow here. Okay, but what happens if you just grow in your head? You're going to have to fall over because you're going to have such a big head. So Paul says it's more well-rounded than that, and we've got to talk about the heart as well. So we see that Paul lists examples of spiritual maturity pertaining to the heart. So if we look at our drawing, here's what we see. We see that Paul says that he wants us to be encouraged in our hearts, verse 2. He wants us to know Christ deeply. And he wants our hearts to overflow with thankfulness. That's verse 7. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart, it uses the word heart a little different than we use the word heart in like a Hallmark Christmas movie, okay? So, which those probably started like a month ago already, right? So when he says heart, what he's talking about in the scriptures, or what Jesus is talking about, is the heart is like the deepest part of you. It's your core. It's the authentic self. It's like where your decisions and your desires all spring from. In fact, Jesus teaches that your actions flow out of your heart. So for example, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So Jesus teaches that the heart is where our words come from. The heart is where our actions come from. I always teach it this way. It's like, you know, when like a celebrity or an athlete really messes up their life and their publicist releases a statement, they always have this one line in there and they say, I'm really sorry. That's not who I really am. And the Bible would say, no, that's exactly who you are because the things that we do, they come from the core of who we are. And because that's true, if you want to be spiritually mature, are there some people in this room that want to look more like Jesus? Okay, three, for the three of you that do, this is what I want you to know. You can't just grow in your head. You've got to grow in your heart. Or another way that we say that is you can't just know about God. You've got to know God. Uh, author Dallas Willard, in his uh, book that uh, helped in some ways inspire the name of this church, A Renovation of the Heart, he says this. He says, What we want is not to subscribe to trying to follow a different set of rules that avoids bad stuff. What we want is a heart that just doesn't desire those things anymore. See, I'm telling you that becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus, it is not as bland, it is not as boring as you just simply say, okay, I'm a Christian now, or I'm trying to get serious in my faith, so I got to teach my heart to not want to get drunk anymore. 
Or I've got to teach my mind to not like porn anymore. Or I've got to now tell myself to not spend all my time and my money on myself. You know what that is? We're, that's, back, that's, that's paddle boat stuff. But that's not what this teaches. What the Bible teaches is that the more that you truly make room for Jesus to come into your heart and do whatever he wants to, the more that Jesus the carpenter will get in your heart and what he'll do, he'll take his hammer and he'll start knocking down walls of the old self, the Bible says. And then the carpenter Jesus will start building up new walls of the new self and what you'll find amazingly, as you truly relationally press into Jesus, is that in some areas you'll find yourself saying, this is, wow. See, it's not just that I shouldn't do that sin anymore. It's that I actually am finding that more and more I don't even want to. What I want is my God. And see, true spiritual maturity is a heart that is having its desires changed by God. And because that is so true and so important, you want to take then action steps to engage your heart, not just your mind, your heart with Jesus. So let me give you some heart action steps here. This is the most important thing I will say to you today and the simplest thing I will say to you today. And I say it almost every week. You just got to meet with Jesus every day, every day. And so that's the most important part of your calendar. Okay. Don't let anybody interrupt that that appointment. So you meet with Jesus every day. Number two, this is a simple thing, but a good thing. Listen to Christian music. It's something as simple as, whether it's on your streaming app that you use, or if you listen to the radio, and if you don't know where to start, we can give you suggestions on that. But what's powerful about Christian music, is a lot of psychologists will say, is that music sort of bypasses even the intellectual part of us, and it goes right more to the core, to the heart. And just having that during the day is a way for you to connect with the Lord on a different level. If you're looking for like a bigger leap here, I would recommend trying a prayer retreat. Uh, There's a place uh, called Wilderness Fellowship. Many of us uh, at our church have gone there before. I've gone there several times. I love it. It's a great place. Uh, It's just across the border into Wisconsin. So sorry about that. But uh, (laughs) uh, when you cross the border into Wisconsin, uh, they have this place, Wilderness Fellowship. It's like a prayer retreat place. I think they have like eight prayer cabins now. And you go there, and essentially there's no internet, there's no technology, it's a nice cabin, it's just you and Jesus for a day or two days, so however long you want to go. It's a powerful, powerful way to engage Jesus with your heart. But we can keep moving here because Paul actually goes even beyond the head and the heart, which is where a lot of us kind of conceptually stop. And we see Paul start listing spiritual maturity examples pertaining to the hands. So here we see in our drawing that Paul says that he is delighted that the Colossian believers are already disciplined in their faith, verse 5, and that they need to continue to be built up in him, verse 7. In fact, look at verse 7 for a minute if you still have it on your lap. Paul uses three different metaphors here, and he mixes metaphors. So if you mix metaphors once in a while, you just say, it's okay, Paul did it. And what we see is Paul says, continue to be rooted in him, built up in him, and strengthened. And grammatically, if we've got any English people in here, grammatically, all three of those are passive. And so what that means is your job is to put yourself in the right position, and then Christ is the one who's actually doing the work. He's doing the building the strengthening. He is the wind that is blowing you to maturity. But your hands 
have got to do the work to set the sail so that you're ready when the wind blows. So let me give you some practical examples of this, and maybe this will make more sense. So here's some application points for the hands. So one of the things you can do is you can take out your phone and go ahead and do, oh, it's my wife. Uh, you can do that right now. And if you, if you go to your clock app and you go to your alarm, tomorrow I want you to set your alarm for 10 minutes earlier than you normally get up. And by the time that you leave or by the time you eat breakfast, however you want to do this, take 10 minutes and meet with the Lord. Well, what are you doing? I'm telling you, the forecast says for tomorrow, the wind is going to blow in the morning. The question is just, are you going to be up for it? See, that's the combination. You're taking your hands, you're getting ready so that you're there when the wind blows. Another thing some of you need to do is when you take those 10 minutes, take your phone and just throw it across the room, okay? Because you're just going to be, you're going to be two minutes in, you're going to be like, what's on Instagram, right? And so if you don't want to break your phone, just do not disturb is cheaper, okay? And then take those 10 minutes and just let the Lord start to speak to you. And then there's so many spiritual disciplines you can engage in. You know, scholars say there's somewhere between probably 10 to 15 different spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits that you can do that increase your faith. A generosity and stewardship is one we don't talk about a whole lot. Fasting is another one. That's a hand thing, right? It's a not moving of the hands. So that you, as a believer, are saying, I, for 24 hours, or however long you want to do it, I'm going to focus my heart, my hands, on Jesus and not just, again, on consumption like we love to do in America. Okay, Paul takes this even further, and he goes into another aspect of spiritual maturity, and here we have the feet. So if you're going to grow, we actually have to get out and get outside of this room and outside of our home. So Paul says in verse 2 that we as Christians, we should be united together. A lot of the translations say knit together as Christians in love. That's verse 2. And then he also says in verse 6 that we should live our lives for him, that we should walk it out. And I actually think this is a tough section for us. I would say that both of those are areas that modern-day American Christians tend to miss. You think about the first one. Okay, united in love, knit together as Christians. I would say many of us as American Christians aren't growing to the spiritual maturity level of many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And that's because as Americans, so many of us have wrongly deduced that Christianity is mainly individualistic. I remember growing up, people would always say, no, 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 like my faith is a private thing. That's just, I don't talk about it. It is a private thing that's just kind of me. Christianity is I read the Bible some, I pray on my own, and then I just grow to be a better person. And I just hear that and I say, hogwash. I don't know if anyone says hogwash anymore, but I am bringing it back right now. You mark that down. Okay, that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches, okay? And what we see is the truth is we've got to be united with other Christians. We've got to move our feet to do that. You know, that's one of the reasons that we shut off our live stream as a church, even though nobody else is doing that. And we did it because we know you can't grow to full spiritual maturity by watching a screen by yourself. We need to be united with other Christians who are going to support one another, challenge one another, encourage one another. You know, the New Testament says, in the New Testament, there are over 50 one another commands and how we need to support one another and bring each other up in the faith. And you just can't become spiritually mature without other Christians. Now, this is why house groups is so important to your spiritual growth. 
And you know, I think as we look to the second one, I think we miss this one too a lot as American Christians. We're not actually living out our faith or walking it out. And I think that's because a lot of us in America, we have turned what we call discipleship, which is growing as a disciple of Jesus. We've turned discipleship into this consumeristic model, which is very American of us. But here's the deal. Spiritual maturity and discipleship isn't just about you growing for your own sake. I would even say this to you, and maybe this is a hard word, but it is a biblical word. If your faith never influences or affects another person, I assure you, you don't look like one of the disciples of Jesus. At some point, we got to walk this out. But our faith has to be noticed. It has to affect other people. And this is where if we were taking more of a topical approach in scripture, we'd probably add other bullet points under there like service or evangelism. I might even add obedience to that section. You know, James chapter 1 verse 22 says this. Do not merely, uh, this is by the way is for you, those of you that love to stay in your head. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So that's just saying, okay, if you know a ton of theology, or maybe you're just a heart person, and you can, oh, you can worship with the best of them at the top of your lungs in your car. If you can do one or two of those things, but you don't actually walk out your faith and obedience to God, that is not spiritual maturity. Uh, it would be like this. In marriage, let's say you had read 15 books about marriage, and you said, oh, I love my spouse so much. But then you said, but I wouldn't say that I ever serve them. I can never help out around the house. Uh, I never take them on a date. I never encourage them. I don't actually do any of the marriage stuff. Well, what would you say to that? You'd say, oh, okay, I don't really care how much you've read. The evidence of spiritual maturity or of marriage maturity is in the actions, right? So let's take a look at what are the action steps then for the feet. They're the simple things. They're the obvious things of action that we talk about a lot as Christians. It's get in a house group. It's being knit together with other Christians. It's sign up to volunteer. It's begin to share your faith. It's begin to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit has been telling you. Some of you right now, the Holy Spirit has been convicting you of a particular sin. And you're continuing to perpetuate it and live in it. Spiritual maturity is to say, you're talking to me, that's great, but I, I'm going to obey it. For some of you, God is calling you to do something and it feels scary. Well, the spiritually mature person, they walk it out. Obey what the, the Lord is speaking to you. That's amazing. Walk it out. Walk it out. And listen, it is important to me that nobody leaves here today overwhelmed with a list of too many things to do. Okay, don't, don't hear this message and go into paddle boat mode. Because some of you, I know how your brains work, and you have been doing it the last 15 minutes. There are some of you in this room, you already have a list of 12 things you are going to do by Friday. Okay, stop that. Here's the deal. The main purpose of this passage, Colossians chapter 2, 1 through 8, is to show you that spiritual maturity, real spiritual maturity, is a well-rounded affair. It's to get you thinking about, okay, where am I strong? Where am I weak? Pick a weak spot. Pick maybe one application point that you can start to round out your maturity in and start walking in that, start trying that this week. Because we've got to remember that biblically, 
if we are going to cross the ocean of spiritual maturity, we've got to be in a boat with sails. If you would, would you just put your eyes on verse 6, just one last time. Look at verse 6. Here's what it says. Paul says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. So then let me ask you, how did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? You received him by admitting that you can't do it on your own, by letting his grace save you and lead you and change you. And in the early days of your faith, right after you became a Christian, because of that, so many of you, you kept your hands busy and your feet were moving and your head knowledge was growing, your heart was coming alive. And how was that happening? It wasn't because you were trying harder. No, it was because in those days you were raising sails all the time and you were waiting for God to bring the wind and he did. And Paul says, just as you have started that way, keep living that way and catch the wind again. Okay, let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would, whatever it is in our life, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would convict us, you would show us our weak areas so that we can round out our spiritual maturity, so that we can look more like your son. And Lord, I pray that you get us in the right spot, that we have the energy to get in the right spot to catch your wind, that we may grow again, and we pray ultimately, Lord, that that growth is for your glory, that people see it and that you are glorified. In your name we pray, amen.